So we started last Sunday, and our focus this year is going to be on the book of 1 John. I say this year, it's going to be our focus for the next four months, and we'll take it verse by verse and study the entire book. It's, it's a great, great study, and last week I just gave you the overview. And we focused on one word, and that's fellowship, because that's a key theme of 1 John, is fellowship. The first four verses, it's an introduction to the book. You don't get into the meat of the book until verse 5. It's not a typical book. John wrote the book near the end of the first century, near the end of his life. Jesus had already died and been resurrected and gone back to heaven and ascended uh, 30 to 40, 50 years prior to the writing of this book really almost 60 years prior to the writing of this book. I mean, the, the Apostle Paul died in, in about A.D. 68, and this book was written in A.D. 90 to 92, 93, 94, 95, something like that. There, there were some serious problems that had already crept up in the church. And so he addresses that from the very beginning. Now, today our focus is going to be in verse 4, where it says that, one of the purposes of the book is that your joy might be complete or that we will share this joy. But before I do that, he said, I'm going to have to teach a few things about who Jesus is. All right? So your notes are a little different today. There's not really an outline. The outline of the book is, it, it, that I want you to remember is pretty simple. The first two and a half chapters are God is light and the last two and a half chapters is God is love. That's the emphasis. But it still these truths sort of jump in and out throughout the book. This is not the typical letter where he starts out, greetings to you, grace and peace, da 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 da. He starts out immediately talking about an issue, addressing an issue that they had which was uh, really some heretical teaching false prophets who had already jumped into, into the church. Now, he was probably the pastor in Ephesus and may have been pastor of several other churches. Uh, he's, he's probably writing back to them and yet other churches as well. So let's go right into it. Look at verse 1. We proclaim to you the, uh, the one who existed from the beginning. It's important. You may want to underline that whom we have heard and seen. Now, notice all these things, all these senses he talks about. He said, he said we proclaim the one, so we're talking about Jesus, who existed from when? The beginning. So what is that? We'll talk about that in a second. Whom we have heard and seen, we saw him with our own eyes, we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. Verse 2. We'll come back to the word of life. Underline that if you haven't in your Bible already. Verse 2, this one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and he was revealed to us. That's the incarnation. That's God revealing himself through Jesus Christ. We proclaim to you what we've already seen, we've actually seen and heard. There it is again. We've seen, heard, seen, heard, seen, heard, touched so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Now, verses 1 to 3 in the original language is all one sentence. 
So you take a deep breath and you read the whole thing. It's all one thought. Let me give you the basis for all of this. And the basis for all of this is Jesus. And I am an eyewitness. Now that's really important. He is one of the few left. As a matter of fact, we think when he wrote this, when John the Apostle, remember it's not John the Baptist, this is not, you know, John the Plumber or uh, John the Craftsman, or this is, not, this is John the Apostle. John the Apostle. He was one of the three, Peter, James, John, right? So he said, I, you know, I, I was an eyewitness. I, I watched his earthly ministry for three years. As a matter of fact, I was a part of that inner circle that got to go to places that even the others did not get to go to. So I'm an eyewitness, and they're saying, this is pretty important because there's probably not, there's not any apostle that's left alive. And so he goes on and talks about, you know, focusing on joy in this book. But he said, listen, there, there are some false teachers who have spread this heresy. Maybe you've heard of them. You've been in church before. If you studied this book before, there was what's called Gnosticism, which comes from a word that means to know and docetism and all kinds of isms. And it was really had to do with who Jesus was. Because the, her the heresy that had come into the early church, these guys were preaching that, that everything physical, the flesh, the body, everything was evil, and so there, there really was no incarnation of God in Jesus, and Jesus was not really who he said he was. He was just another great prophet. So, let me give you a clue. Have you ever thought about, is this a cult, is this a cult, is this a cult, is this a cult? What makes a cult or an ism or a heresy or a false prophet, what makes them false versus what makes them a true prophet? What makes them false is all built around the person of Jesus. If it, John 1.14, written by the same person, remember he wrote John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in Revelation. He wrote John introducing everyone to Jesus, and here's what he said. The Word became flesh. The Word, we'll come back to that in just a moment. He's talking about Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is still the true test. What do you believe about Jesus? Now, if you go and look at all these, you know, a lot of cults and a lot of them that have come up in the last, say, 200 years, you can find out whether uh, they're they teaching what the Scripture says, and you can find out very quickly if it's accurate by finding out what they believe about Jesus. If that they do not believe that Jesus was God manifested in the flesh, therefore becoming the only way of salvation. It is false doctrine, and it's being spoken by a false teacher. And that's what happened here. And John said, look, I was with him. I touched him, so he was real. 
I, I felt him, I heard him, I saw him, I perceived him, which is what the word saw means here. And he said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, let that, let's start, go, go back to the front of the beginning. See where it says in verse 1, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. All right. Where else do we find two other places where we find in the beginning? Where is it? Genesis 1, right? And uh, you know what? All of you got that right. That's an easy one, all right? Genesis 1. What does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John's going to tie all this together. Where's the other place that it talks about in the beginning? Where? John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And who wrote John chapter 1? The same person who wrote 1 John chapter 1. John chapter 1, just write it down somewhere. John 1, 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. Now, we'll come back to it in a second. Circle the word Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So, let's get to this word, word. All right? Now, some of you Bible students who've studied this before, what is the Greek word, which the New Testament was written in? We won't go for the Hebrew word, but what was the Greek word for word? Anybody know? Anybody? Anybody? Starts with L. What? Logos. Aha, I knew somebody would know it. Not Legos. Okay, not Legos. Okay, Logos. And not Logos like you wear on your shirt. That's where we get the word. That's where it really comes from. But it means the word. That's what the word is here. Logos. You say, well, what I need to know that. It was a very important word in both Greek philosophy and the Jews of the Old Testament used this word. Now, the Greek philosophy was, now remember, think about what, this, what he's talking about. It's the word of life. It is the logos of life. He goes, in the beginning was the word, the logos. And the logos was with God. And then he was manifested and revealed to us. So the Greek philosophy said, and I'm, I'm going to quote from one of their you know, whoever. It was the un uncreated principle of reason that gave order and structure to the universe. So what does that mean to me? How do I translate that in 21st century? They thought it was the force. The force be with you. That's what they really thought it was, the force, right? Make sense? John's saying, now in the Jews in the Old Testament, they said that logos to them meant God's means of revelation. This is how he revealed himself, sometimes as a divine presence. So we have this word logos, which means the word, and the Greeks are saying, yeah, this, is, this, is, this means something uncreated that actually did the creation. Hmm, I wonder what that could be. Why did John use that word? Because that's exactly who Jesus was. He was uncreated that created the world. He said he's not some phantom. I saw him. I witnessed him. I'm an eyewitness of the word. 
The Word was with us. The Word of life. The revealed message of God was Jesus Christ. And so the, the message that we embrace as Christians is that Jesus, the Word, revealed God and His plan for eternity and His plan for our salvation. And if there's, a, there's an ism like Gnosticism or Docetism or any other kind of ism that says that Jesus was not God in the flesh, manifested the flesh, therefore He's not the way to heaven, then it is a cult, it is a sect, it is a false doctrine. So, John said, look, this is not just theology. I experienced this firsthand. It's all introduction. But we proclaim that this is the basis of our fellowship, of our communion. What is the basis of our communion with each other? The basis of our communion with each other as Christians is the Word, is Jesus. It's all about Him. So, let me give you a good paraphrase on your notes. I, I read this from Chuck Swindoll. I said, and it's not a literal translation. It's a paraphrase. And it, it, it says these four verses in a way that I, I, there's no way I can say it. Let's read it together. For the very first time, we disciples laid our eyes on him, taking it all in, hearing with our own ears, seeing with our own eyes, staring at and studying him over the years, actually touching him with these hands, we saw it all happen before our eyes, literally. And we're now declaring what we witnessed. Incredibly, the infinite life of God himself who took shape before us. And now I'm writing about it so all of you can experience what has transformed our lives, intimate communion with the heavenly Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, and the same satisfying joy, joy we've known since we began walking with him. That's why I'm writing you this letter today. Now that makes sense. Now I can understand it. And then he said, so this is the satisfying joy that we have with him. And there's only one time in this whole book that he uses the word joy. And he uses it, it's this word right here, chara. This is, this is really the focus, which we're going to take the last 10 minutes to talk about. The focus of the book is his theme is to have fellowship with God, have fellowship with one another, and it produces this joy that we share. And this, this word standing alone, it means a calm delight, literally translated, or gladness. A calm delight or gladness. So let's talk about that. And he said, I want this calm delight or gladness to be, I want you to be full. I want it to be, fill up to the brim and run over as individuals. So there's a big difference between joy and happiness, isn't there? Can I illustrate the difference between joy and happiness? Now, hopefully this works. This last week, or about three weeks ago, I got a notice that said, Mr. Jones, you're going on Monday, what's tomorrow, the 10th, to jury duty. Ah, and you had the same reaction I did. I'm, 
you, all of you just said, I get to do my community service, right? That's always our reaction. Let's be honest. I had the same reaction. Uh, bring my book and sit there for three hours and try to figure out how I could not sit next to one so I can get out and go to the bathroom because I'll have to go 57 times, right? And they'll call me and they'll say, where is he? And he's jump ship and all this other stuff. So what do they do? They send you notes. The day before, which I've never seen this before, the day before you call them, you call this number. Have you done that before? Okay, now, I haven't done it before. Where I've gone before, you just show up, you sit there for four hours, and they tell you to go home because you're not, you're not, you can't do it. And when they say, do you believe in the death penalty, and I always say, hang them, hang them, hang them, they, for some reason, they send me home. I don't, I say, gas them, gas them, gas them. Okay, so let's see if this works. I call this number, 972, I can give you the number, 204-6727. Mark Russo, Precinct 3. Your attendance will not be required on Monday, February the 13th. Thank you for... Is that a wonderful call? <laughs> now, let me ask you something. Did I experience joy or did I experience happiness? Happiness. happiness. One other time, in particular, I experienced happiness. In, in March of... 2017, I went to my, my uh, mailbox, and I took out the mail, and on the outside of the mail, the address was the Department of Internal Revenue. It's, it, and it's, it's a little worse than being called for jury duty. And I'm saying, oh, I, I honestly, I did give $500 worth of clothes to the Goodwill. And I, and I really did, I know my property taxes are high, but I really did pay that much. And I really did give money to the church. And I'm thinking all these thoughts, I said, they're, I know they're gonna audit me. I, I opened up that package and looked at it. It says, Mr. Jones, you have made an error in calculation. I said, oh no. And then I went on and said, and we owe you $3,000. This is, besides salvation, the biggest miracle. Did that bring me joy or happiness? Happiness. Now, it's a close call though, all right? Why did it bring me happiness? Because it was a happening. That's where we get the word happiness. And our happiness depends on something happening. That's not joy. Huh? It's not eternal. You've already read the note. Not eternal. Both exa are examples of happiness, but it depends on a, on a happening. John uses the word joy once, but let me give you two quotes that I think will help you understand it. Joy is not something that we manufacture for ourselves. Joy is a wonderful byproduct of our fellowship with God. Another quote by Tony Evans that the pastor quoted this morning. True joy is not dependent on your circumstances. It's stability on the inside in spite of what is occurring on the outside. So the happening may not be good, but the joy can be present if it's biblical joy.
So, there's so many things to learn about joy, then I'm just going to tell you what they are, and we're not going to study them. There are joy robbers. You know what a joy robber is? Takes it away. Uh, sin is a joy robber if we tolerate it. Circumstances if we worry over them. And uh, people if we let them. One of the biggest joy robbers can be people. Do you know that? So test yourself. If I'm not, if I don't have the joy, remember, did you ever sing to the kid? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. When I was a kid, I'm going, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means, but it's a good song. i got the joy, joy, joy. Right? We just sing it. And then somebody comes along. They took the joy, 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 joy right out of my heart. Right? Have you ever experienced that? Oh, it happens. And you know what? Don't tell anybody, but it can happen at home. Right? Okay, we'll go on with that. Then I could talk about, I'm talking about kids. What do y'all think I'm talking about? It's not talking about husbands and wives. I'm talking about the kids. All right. Then, now this is important. You've never taken the joy away. All right? Don't ask her, though, the same question. <laughs> then there, in the Bible, we find that there's a prayer to restore joy. Remember when David sinned and, uh, with Bathsheba and all of the things that happened for that in Psalm 51? He, um, in verse 12, he said, Lord, restore to me what? The joy of your salvation. How many of you say, well, I, I've, I've traveled my Christian road for quite a while, but there's been times when I have missed, I, I know I'm saved, I know I have this salvation that Christ gave me, but I've missed the joy of my salvation. So, there's a prayer to restore it. There's even a process of a learning process, and I don't like this one, the trials building our joy. James 1, 2, and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So I'm allowing the trial to work in my life whatever God wants to accomplish. That doesn't mean, but my car broke down, and so... I'm not happy about it, but you know what? What is God going to, through the circumstance, what is God going to teach me about it? That's the trials building our joy. So here's what I'll leave you with. John was leading to all this because he's talked about Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I saw him. I touched him. I spoke with him. I lived with him. I knew him. And he said, this is the basis of your joy. It's in a person, as our pastor said today. It's not in a process. It's not in the fact that I go here, do this, follow this rule. It is in a person. We go back to those isms that teach that Jesus is something other than the Son of God, teaching other than Jesus is God, the Word, the Logos, and they teach, they always teach something else about the grace of God.
They teach that God gives grace. He gives us a, His grace is that He gives us this ladder that then you can climb up and hopefully reach me someday. That's not grace. Because all of that, that's not salvation. Salvation is Jesus. The joy is Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. John 15, 11. Jesus said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. Jesus said again in John, same author, 16, verse 22. Now is the time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice. And no one will ever take away your joy. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. And I've used that verse many, many times at funerals, at memorial services, at gravesides. But I like what Tony Evans said, both in history and in eternity, there is unfathomable joy in God's presence. No challenge can overshadow this truth. Thus, believers must make living in God's presence and anticipating an eternal future with Him a way of life. Then I'll read one more passage of Scripture. Habakkuk. Alistair Begg calls him, what does he call him, Dennis? Habakkuk. He calls him Habakkuk. Have you ever heard him call him Habakkuk? Uh, some of you don't know who Habakkuk or Habakkuk is, so it's in the Bible, I promise you. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Seriously, Habakkuk was a prophet to Judea, to the Judeans, right before the Babylonian captivity and conquest of Judea. It was a difficult book. But listen to what he said to Judah. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines... Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior, not my circumstances. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go to the heights. He said, I found joy. Bad circumstances, but a good God. And that's what joy is. That's what John is telling us throughout this book. Bad circumstances, but a good God. We look for it everywhere. We heard in the message this morning in relationships, possessions, jobs, hobbies, vacations, travel, home. We look for joy everywhere, and it just gives us momentary happiness. Because joy is in a person. So, okay, well, how do I get that joy that's in a person? If he's your Savior, it goes back to Psalm 16, 11. In his presence is abundant joy. So, can I spend time in his presence? Yes. When I'm in, in time of prayer, when I commune with him by reading his word, when I'm with his people in a place of worship. And someday when I'm in heaven, I'll have perfect joy. I read this morning, someone just had a simple prayer, and I said, this was for me. They said their prayer every day was, Lord, fill me with the joy that can only come from you. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones said, there's only one thing that can give true joy, and that is the contemplation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He satisfies my mind. He satisfies my emotion. He satisfies my every desire. Joy, in other words, is the response and the reaction of the soul to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for teaching us that this is the source for joy, Jesus Christ, no, nothing else, nowhere else, not in relationships, not in uh, possessions, not in, in anything, any emotion, any event, any happening, but in a person. Thank you, Father, for this uh, teaching. Give us that joy that we pray for right now, that abiding satisfaction of being in your presence. In Christ's name, amen.